but we, have, we do have some work to do today, and let's talk about that. As a church, we are a one another church. We always like to recognize each other and to uh, support and encourage each other. And so, yes, we will uh, recognize that today is Father's Day and say Happy Father's Day to all of the, the happy and the troubled fathers among us. We're, we're grateful for all of you. We are aware that also Father's Day can be difficult for some others because they had either bad fathers or bad kids. We're aware of this. We're also aware that some of you wanted to be fathers and aren't fathers. We're aware that some of you have uh, suffered the horrific tragedy of losing a child. We want you to know everybody is welcome here and everybody is loved here and this is a safe place. But all that said, for you faithful fathers that have uh, taken care of the kids, and uh, by the way, I see more and more of that in this new generation where the younger men are stepping up and doing more with the children. Yes, well done. That is great. So, that said, let's talk about two earth-shaking facts that many of you may not have noticed, so let's do them. Number one, men and women are different. Number two, we bo have both men and women in this place. Therefore, it's going to be different. After our sermons on our God and our book back a few months ago, you might be wondering if there are no boundaries between us, no differences between us. And the answer is, well, let's review. We are an egalitarian congregation here. That means that we value both male and female. Both male and female are invited to take part in our worship and our ministries and our leadership. But there are some obvious markers that would say, while well, we're egalitarian, we're not all the way egalitarian. For example, your lead minister is a man, so are your shepherds. However, that said, your lead minister is very, very interested in the voices of women and listens to them and honors them and gets them up so that you can hear those voices as often as possible. And all your shepherds, while male, have married women, and which we, we find handy. But also, those women are very wise women, and their voices are very welcome, not only in the elders' meetings, but also in our homes and our classes and the like. And so there is that little tension there. So are we saying there are no differences between us? No, we're not saying that. And so that's where the tension sets in. But everything in God's economy has tension built into it. How much are we saved by faith, and how much are we saved by following God, by, by works, a la James? There's a tension there. Uh, baptism is required, but what happens if we, well, there's a tension there. Faith and works and all of these tensions are built into Scripture. This is another one of them. And so what we're going to do today is go to a very, very strange chapter and read it. Talk about it a little bit. This strange chapter is normally, we, we ignore the first half. It's 1 Corinthians 11. In case you want to get out your Bibles, your iPads, iPods, uh, if you're not doing so well, your Android devices, whatever you read <laughs> off of 1 Corinthians 11. We normally only go to the last half of it and read that around communion time. But the first half of it is normally the kind of scripture that we read and dismiss with a shrug and a, oh, wasn't Paul quite the complicated person? Look. But it, while it does seem odd... The first part, oh, it seems odd. 
And it seems odd at the first reading, the second reading, the 10th, and the 30th reading. We might be able to get some really good information here. So let's have a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 2, which is where the thought really begins. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the traditions just as I passed them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. By the way, if your eyes are rolling back right now, hang on. A man ought not to cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born a woman, but everything comes from God. Well, we got that sorted out. Now, um, <laughs> remember a few things. Number one, you're only hearing one end of a conversation. Number two, we're reading somebody else's mail. Number three, there were a whole lot of things going on in Corinth that you might not be aware of. Corinth was the wild town of the Roman Empire. If you acted as if you had no rules and you didn't care what anybody said and you just misbehaved and shamed, shamed yourself by your behavior, the Romans had an expression that you're acting like a Corinthian. That's what Paul was having to deal with. Now add to this that there were some new ideas coming to Corinth, and these ideas would eventually become the Gnostic teaching. We referenced Gnostic teaching a few weeks ago, and so I won't go through all that again. But let's just say this is proto-Gnosticism. It was beginning. And one of the things that Gnostics taught was that there, were, there was at least two gods. One was so holy and pure, he had nothing to do with creating the universe because the universe is full of pain and, and icky smells and sticky things. So that God was too holy to do any of that. And that God created woman. Now, a competing God created the universe, the rest of the universe, and created man, basically just to cause trouble. That teaching, uh, everything was centered around this pure female deity, had taken hold in Ephesus and spread to Corinth. And so in, in Ephesians and Corinthians, Paul has to address this and address the creation story. Because remember, their creation story is Eve springs up from the will of God, the pure God, and then God gets some dirt and makes a guy, another God, competing God. These biblical stories were turned around, as well as their myths and their own stories, to fit their own purposes. They also taught that there were no laws, no rules. Now, this is not libertarianism. This is libertinism, which is a very different thing. Which is, uh, libertarianism would say, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff, but leave them alone. Libertinism means there is no law, do what you want to. Do anybody, about anybody, to anything. They taught that, at least one branch of what would become Gnosticism taught that one. The other one said, everything's awful, so punish yourself. So, I mean, they were just completely uh, different there. But this one said, there are no laws. 
You didn't have to worry about what your body's dead. Sleep with who you want to sleep with, steal, get drunk, whatever you want to do. Women, go wild. Well, women who had been held down by male-centric societies for so long, when they're turned loose and said, no matter what you do, it's fine, that was exciting. And some of them took it seriously. And some of them were Christians, and so Paul had to deal with this. They, the women flaunting their sexuality, marginalizing men, and devaluating men as they had been marginalized. I mean, we see that today. Uh, a silly, and I'm sorry, you know, I, don't, um, I, I read books, so I, I can't help but look at this and say, that's silly. Uh, a group of women are saying, we have to end Father's Day. And you may have seen them because they've gotten on the news. Because we put things that are odd on the news. We don't put, a man drove from Nashville to Gallatin without incident. <laughs> we put odd things on the news. And you will have, and people are afraid when we talk about a church that allows women, allows women, that recognizes that women are created in the image of God as well and that are partners with us in ministry, that won't the men just stop? Won't the men just shrink back and fail to lead? And won't the women just take over? Not if we're in one another church. Not if we're a church that loves people enough for his beloved. Not a church that loves Africa as much as we love our, our neighbors here. Not a church like that. We're not going to let that happen. We're not going to have one person become so important they shove others back. Or one sex so important it shoves another back. Paul's trying to give them a social order that works and brings peace, both to the family and to the local congregation. He's trying to get them also to not malign the reputation of Jesus Christ. And that's important. I could uh, wear, I'm allowed, you know, in the Christian economy, I'm allowed to wear a dirty toga 24-7. But that wouldn't really enhance the reputation of Jesus Christ. And so you always have to think about what would, what would be best for the reputation of Christ. And that's what he's concerned about here. And so you're going to enter into the first century world that is so different than ours. We have no clue how to deal with this. So let's get a clue. Let's hang on. Let's take a look at this first part. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding on to the traditions. Notice he doesn't say absolute form, liturgy, law that you must follow for life. He's saying, no, this is a way this works. As I, just as I pass them to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and, and the head of Christ is God. Now, if you read this in, in American English, or, or British English of today, this could make us start to go, Ooh, I don't know if that's very politically correct. Well, that's one of our problems, is we're reading it in our language. If you were to get a first century thesaurus, a thesaurus is an ancient dinosaur that knows lots of words. If you were to get a first... Play in my head for a while, people. Um, if, you, if you were to get a first century thesaurus and look up head, it would not have the words that you and I have for head. We're going to talk about more of this next week. Uh, when we think of head and say, find another word, we'll say boss, in charge of, in control, that sort of thing. Not to them. Their word for head was the same as their word for liver. We'll talk about that next week as well. But it meant, we'll just get to the point, it meant developer of, protector of the emotions. It meant service, not selfishness. It meant duty, 
not domination. The man's job, or the head's job, was to protect the emotions and the health of the other, but not CEO, not boss, not ruler. Something very, very different for us. So when we look at this passage again, it begins to make a bit more sense. For example, man is the head of woman. Well, don't get so excited about this and, and get offended because it also says that God is a head of Christ. When did God ever boss Christ around? When did God ever demand from Christ something that Christ would not, was not willing to give? We're all aware of the struggle of becoming human, but you've got to remember Christ bought into the plan before he came here. He was part of it. In Hebrews chapter 1, God is looking at Jesus and saying, My God. He honors Jesus as much as Jesus honors him. Headship is not bossship. It is not the pyramid that you see or the flow chart where you have to report to this one and you have to report to that one and you have to report to that one. No. No. It's a protector mode. My job is to make sure my wife has the easiest day possible. My job is to protect her emotions. I take that seriously. My son, grown man now, but even at the age of two, Every single time that I had to leave for work or leave for a trip, I would say, your job is to make that woman's life as easy as possible. He took it seriously. And he took care of her every single time I left. When I came home, she would tell me. He watched over me. He brought stuff to me. He made sure I was fine. That's what a headship means. It doesn't mean sitting in a recliner and saying, woman, Bring me a, wait a minute, O'Doul's. <laughs> so many lines are trying to get out right now. <laughs> and I can say them because I don't have to have this gig, but no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. No, it's, that's not what headship is. It's not Fred Flintstone. We got to get away from that. So if we're going to understand head, we have to gather a meaning that works between Christ and God as, as well as between Christ and man. Hey, men, when was the last time Jesus bossed you around, hit you, raised his voice at you, or threatened you? When was the last time he did anything but give you good things even on the day you behaved your worst? On my worst day, and people, that was a pretty bad day. In fact, I have such a selection, I'm not sure which one it was. God still fed me, clothed me, gave me life, gave me friends, gave me protection. And he said, that's the way you're the head of the woman. Does that change that a little bit in your head? It ought to. Well, look at the next one. He uses a cultural reference here that we miss because his culture was not our culture. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. For a woman, if, if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But it's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved. Then she should cover her head. Now, you're going, what? Well, understood. A lot of people got this wrong. I've been to churches before where all the women 
had to have a covering when they came in. And they even had a little selection there for the visitors. You know, to me, they look like doilies, but I'm, they, I was told, no, that's a, that's a hat. Fair enough. Well, we're not making fun of them, by the way. What are they trying to do? They're trying to follow Jesus. They're just, that's not what that was. He just told you who your head was. Women are not to pray with their head uncovered. What does that mean? You've got to understand the Jewish mind, because he's writing to Corinth, which is full of Gentiles, but he's, he's using Jewish allusions here. Do you remember when Noah got naked and it was uncovered by a son? Uncovered doesn't mean that he took the clothes off. Uncovered means the laughing, the pointing, the derision. You don't uncover the faults of your husband. You don't do that. Men are not to pray with their head covered. When men pray, you'd better be hearing and seeing Jesus. You should not ever, men, cover your head. And yesterday, I forget even what I was doing. I came to check out his beloved and, and, and to see what they were doing. Was, I was incredibly impressed by the work of, of all of them down there. And I think I was talking to Marion when I said something that I had done, and she goes, oh, that was very nice. And I said, yeah, that was one of those moments where I want to say, Jesus, are you paying attention? I did something good. But there are times, guys, where we don't want Jesus to be looking, and he says, don't act like that. Pray and live in a way that shows everybody who's in charge of you, that Jesus is in charge of you. Ladies, I, this may shock you. In fact, I think it will. Because back in my counseling days, when I used to do little surveys as part of my work, I, I would ask the ladies, who, who are your best friends? And they would normally name five or six different ladies. When I ask men, who are your best friends, almost all of them name the wife first. When I tell the wife, they'll say, well, he's lying. <laughs> and I'll say, well, why do you say that? And they'll say, because he didn't even talk to me. Well, he didn't talk to anybody else either. That's, that's, um, you know, that's the thing. Uh, and you, then I've had them say, well, no, no, they talk, he talked to me when we were dating. I said, yeah, men use communication to solve problems. He had a problem. He wasn't married. Um, <laughs> married you, problem solved. We're really done now. Uh, so, <laughs> But ladies, there's something else you need to know. I've been asked to do different ladies' days to come in and speak for different things. And it's, a, it's an honor to get to ask anywhere. When I speak at men's retreats, they speak so highly of their wives. When I go to ladies' days, I'll often he, overhear at the lunch table or the like, Oh, my husband did this boneheaded thing. My husband's so stupid here. I'm trying to get my husband to lose weight, but he won't get off. They're uncovering their head. They're stripping him bare. Isn't it interesting that in the Bible, men are told to love their wives, women are told to respect their husbands because men are fragile. They need that respect. That's what they want. They, they crave it because they're not going to get it from the world. They want the person who, like Adam and Eve, naked and not ashamed in the garden, sees everything about them and still respects them. That's what they're looking for. And so he's saying, ladies, you have freedom in Christ, but don't abuse it so much you start stripping your husband's bare. Men, you have freedom in Christ, but don't use it and abuse it to where you're stripping away the head over you, Jesus. Let people see Jesus. Just like when people saw Jesus, who did they see? 
God. He said, the words that I speak are his. The things that I do are his. Men, you be like that. Ladies, respect who God gave you. Paul warns them that shaming their husbands shames themselves. It's like shaving their head. Back then you shaved your head if you were in mourning or if you had been caught as an adulteress or something like that. It was a shameful thing, a painful thing. He says, don't, don't live like that. Make your life easier. Love your husband. Look at 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 7. A man ought not to cover his head since he's the image and glory of God. Stop that. I've had women read that and go, wait a minute. Man is the image and glory of God. No, um, you need to know how to play pronoun games here. Who is the head of man? Christ. Christ is the image and glory of God. He's not saying man is the image and glory of God and woman's just the glory of man. But we, we miss that, don't we? You know why? Because Paul didn't think we'd be reading this as a legal document 2,000 years later. It's part of our narrative. That's when it changes. By the way, just a quick commercial. I think it's the English Standard Version is going to print a version of the Bible this year with no chapters or verses. When you read it that way, you don't see law, you see story. When we broke it up into sections, we turned it into section A, point section B, article 4. Get one of those and read it. Whatever version you can find, and you'll see the change. That said... We're not to behave, men, as if Christ is not our head. Every word, every action has to be from Christ. Please remember, one of these days you will stand in front of Christ and God, and God's going to wonder how you treated his daughter. He's not going to wonder. He's going to know, by the way. So treat her well. Treat women with the, all women, not just your wives, all women, with the grace of Jesus, the mercy of our Lord, and with dedication to service and kindness first and foremost to that woman. No provocation. We're, we're not going to push. We're going to model Christ. Jesus said again and again that everything he said he did was, was from God. Guys, that's how we're supposed to live. That's how we're supposed to treat these women that God has entrusted us with and blessed us with for their wisdom and their beauty and their sweetness and their kindness and their leadership. Yes, from time to time, I think... We need to back out of our little rooms and say, what do the ladies think? Because sometimes they need to also back out of their rooms and say, what do the guys think? Look at the next section, um, verses 8 through 12. For man did not come from woman. Again, getting the creation story straight. That's one of the things Paul tried to do before the Gnostics grabbed it. But woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And there's where we stop. Because a lot of people go, wait a minute. Woman was created just to serve you? Let's go back to the, the creation story again. Woman, Eve was created as a helper fit for man. Remember that phrase? What does that mean? I've had women say, that's a subservient role. No, it isn't. The word helper in the Old Testament Almost every other time it's used refers to God. I look to the eyes, and whence comes my help? Helper, women, you're here as part of God for us. We frankly need you more than you need us. We're aware of that. 
We're really aware of it. That's why we don't want to go shopping with you, because you'll say, oh, but we're going to pick out this couch together. We're aware there's no together <laughs> in this at all. And, and usually we learn this about the time you're planning the wedding. When they say, which invitation do you like, this one or this one? Uh, it's, and every, everybody here is going, yeah, that's sure, right. Uh, or the wife's looking over saying, that's not how we did. And he's going, no, that isn't. <laughs> Fact is this. When men are widowed, they tend to go find another partner. We know we need somebody. When women are widowed, they most often say, I don't want to train another one. We know we need you. I'm going to be more I, at the risk of being offensive. There are people for whom singleness is a gift, and I, I admire them. I really do. There are others that singleness is a gift they never wanted and tried to return. I've done singles groups before, and you can see a woman who's been single all of her life, and she is proper and sweet and wonderful. Look at a guy that's been single all of his life, and the buttons aren't right, and the hair's not right. And he talks when he chews. And why? Because there was no woman there to civilize him. I didn't own napkins till I was married. I had a sink. You eat over the sink. <laughs> so we can laugh. The point is this. This passage we just looked at does not mean women are lesser. But we've read it that way because we read it through eyes of fear. And we read it through our own eyes of culture. There's so much more I'd like to say, but I'm aware we're, we're kind of running a little bit late. And some of you have lunches after the connection group. You're not allowed to have lunch before because you can pray God won't hear you. <laughs> we need each other. Man and woman need each other. We are partners in this ministry and in this world. Paul closes this section, but not his theme, by asking them to contemplate the picture we give the world when women pray to Jesus but mistreat or dishonor their husbands, or when men pray to Jesus but do not show him in the way they treat their wives, their family, and those around. Look at verse 16. Do we have that one? We do. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. You were absolutely right. Let's go back. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. How different is that than the American system, the British system, whatever, the modern system, where everybody's got to be on top of everybody else, and everybody's got to win. And if you've got something nice, we have to destroy it. No. We are to be the first ones to open up our arms. I won't take the time to do this today. Perhaps we'll do this um, as we go through this one another series. But I had the originally closed out about a six-minute thing, and I'm, I'm going to give that six minutes back to you, where we look at every chapter in 1 Corinthians, and his theme in every single chapter is get along with each other and esteem each other and love one another for the cause of Christ. Every single one of them. Even the male and female issues in chapter 7 when he's saying, women, don't leave your husbands if they want to stay with you. Husbands, don't leave your wives if they want to stay with you. Don't use your freedom to split the family. 
Learn to love each other. Learn to work with each other for the cause of Christ. As an each other church, this church developed a tradition, which they've had for, for some time, I don't know how long, called family prayer time. I'm going to ask the prayer warriors, if you would, please, to go to the walls. If you're a visitor here, this may seem a little bit awkward to you, but I hope that it does not. You will not be embarrassed by any stretch of the imagination. We won't let that happen to you. What this is, is about three or four minutes. Anybody who wishes to pray, you can always fill out one of the blue cards, but you can also go to any of these people along the walls, and they will pray with you quietly and confidentially. Nobody will stare at you or think of you uh, poorly during this time. There'll be some music playing. At the end of that time, I'll step back up, say a few words. George will get back up and lead the team in one final song. But if you don't want to go to the walls, take some time to pray where you are. Or reach out and show somebody near you that you love them. May God bless us.